or to let somebody else pray it. But Father, we're stirred to take our place and to be that uh, one who would send forth your word and call upon you. And so we thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for stirring us so that we can see what you desire in the world today. Amen. Well, Habakkuk 3.2 says this. It says, O Lord, I have heard your speech, and I was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And really, revival prayer is exactly that. It's praying for people who don't know how to pray for themselves that would receive wrath except for somebody pray. And so we take hold and we say, oh Lord, revive your work. Revive your work in the midst of years. Make it known. Do what you've done before. Do what you've done. Reach people, Lord. And that's revival. Revival literally means to breathe breath into something. And that's what God did when he created man. He put life into him. And now we are in need of revival <laughs> unless we have kept that relationship strong and that vital union. And so we pray for revival. And revival prayer is taking his word and it's lifting it up to him with earnest expectation that God will do what he has done before. And Habakkuk said, we've seen it. We've heard it, it's been prophesied, and Lord, do it again. I love that. That's the heart of revival prayer. It's standing when we don't see anything, but it has a passion for God to move. We want to see him, and it's fueled by a love for God and a love for people. <laughs> you know, the mission of our church is to love, to lift, and reach people. And we want to reach them with the love of God. We want to reach them with the message. We want people to be lifted up in the knowledge of who they are, that God created them for a purpose and that he created them to love them and they can be in his family. So we're loving, lifting, and reaching people. And in the day that we live in, it's easy to criticize things. It's easy to see all the things that are out of place. But it's not easy to just dedicate our heart to prayer. <laughs> Actually, it is easy once we start because we'll get his heart. So praying for revival. Pastor Mark said something a couple weeks ago. He said, God called us to reign and not to complain. <laughs> and I like that. And so oftentimes, you know, in, in the days that we live in, it's easy to see all the things that are going wrong, and it's easy to receive a burden of heaviness and even an oppression or a depression, if it's let go, about all the things that are going on. But really, we need to take that burden and take it into the place of prayer. Because oftentimes we're feeling something, and the weight of something is coming upon us, but it's actually a burden to pray. And if we'll take it into the prayer closet, God will relieve that and he'll be able to do what only he can do and we can leave with a peace knowing that he is working. 
So revival, you know, revival isn't something that we plan. It happens on God's timeline, and it happens on God's terms. But there are things that we can do that really set the atmosphere. It sets the atmosphere for revival. It sets the atmosphere for God to be able to come in and move. And we've talked about this a lot. Prayer is putting an invitation before God to go into a place. When we pray, like, you know, when I pray for my family, when I pray for my children, I'm giving God an invitation to go in and do things in their lives that they might not even be asking him for. But I'm giving that invitation. And so there are things that we can do. And revival prayer goes through every generation. So in the old days, they used to call it praying the price. Are we willing to pray the price that it costs to have revival? Are we willing to pray that price? And you know, there were people in all kinds of uh, little rooms and groups of people that prayed the price and saw revival over and over throughout history. I have a testimony from an English preacher and evangelist. His name was Sidlow Baxter. And I've been reading a lot of these lately just because God is stirring my heart this way. But he said when he was 85 years of age, he said, I have pastored three churches in my more than 60 years of ministry, and we had revival in every one. And not one of them came as a result of my preaching. They came as a result of the membership entering into covenant to pray until revival came. See, revival is fueled by prayer. And will we have people that are willing to pray the price? You know, I was reading the, the book called Sister Amy. It's about Amy Simple McPherson, and it talks about a revival that happened in Denver, Colorado. And it talks about her, and it has pictures of her um, praying for people, and all kinds of people came to the Denver Coliseum and were healed and were saved, and all kinds of great things took place. But it has this picture of her visiting a little house in downtown Denver where a group of ladies had gathered together and committed themselves to pray until revival came to Denver. And don't you love that? Don't you love that there are people that say, I will take that burden and I will pray the price. So are we having people who are willing to pray the price? Well, that's what revival prayer is all about. Revival isn't just a meeting. It's not a, a week of meetings. It's not a time where we run around the church. Revival really is where God breathes life into a place. And it comes because people dedicate their hearts to pray. So, let's see. <laughs> With every move of God, there will always be a move of prayer. And, you know, we see God moving in different places and a wave here and a wave there. And we see revivals and they're all recorded. All throughout history, there's been revivals. I think England has had more revivals than any other nation on earth. Most of the ones I'm reading about are from there. But, you know, they travel from that place and they've gone around the world. And so every place has had revival, but it's all fueled by prayer. There's always these groups or these people that are praying, and prayer brings about revival. So today, I want us to talk about two specific kinds of prayer that will really accompany revival prayer. And so there are two specific uh, ways that we can pray or, or um, kinds of prayer. And so Revelation 5, 9 and 10, I want to read this. It says, and I'm reading it out of the Amplified, 
And now they sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to break the seals that are on it. For you were slain, sacrificed, and with your blood you purchased men unto God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom, a royal race, and priests to our God. And they shall reign as kings over the earth. You know, I love that scripture. I love that. And it's speaking about Jesus, the only one who was able to take and open those seals. And it was because of him, because of his blood. And it tells us what his blood did. It made us kings and priests unto our God. And so as we talk about these two aspects of revival prayer, we're really going to focus on those two things, kings and priests unto our God. And you might even say it this way, we're warriors and worshipers. In that place of revival prayer, we're warriors and worshipers. Because what do kings do? Kings exercise authority and kings take nations and they're warriors or they lead warriors and then priests, what do priests do? Well, priests intercede. And as they intercede, they, they really grab hold of the heart of God and they do something of intercession with it. And so warriors and worshipers, kings and priests, we're going to talk about two kinds of prayer. And the first one is authority. Authority, because kings exercise authority. So on January 9th, if you weren't here or if you didn't hear that message, Pastor Mark taught a wonderful message on authority in prayer. And he looked at the armor of God and it was powerful. And so if you did not hear that, or maybe you heard it, I, had, I was sitting here in it for two services and I went home and listened to it. And then I listened to it this week again. It was such a great message. So I encourage you, go to the podcast and listen to the January 9th message because it was awesome. But we're going to go back to that scripture, Ephesians 6.10. And you can go there with me. We're going to start there, talking about authority. So revival prayer will contain these two kinds or these two elements of prayer. Authority and intercession. Authority and intercession. Why? Because we're kings and priests. We're warriors and worshipers. So here we are in Ephesians 6. And we'll start in verse 10. And it says, In conclusion... Be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, and against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place, stand therefore, hold your ground, 
having tightened the belt of truth around your loins, having put on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude and right standing with God, and having shod your feet with the preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. Lift up overall the covering shield of saving faith upon which you can quench the flaming missiles of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword that the spirit wields, which is the word of God. And we'll pause there. See, he's talking about the armor and he says, put on the armor. As a Christian, we need to have the armor on. And you know, when a, a person, when a warrior goes out into battle, what do they put on? They put on the armor. Why? Because without the armor, you are defenseless. <laughs> you're, you're open for attack. And so you need the armor on. You must have on the armor. And it says here twice in this scripture, put on the whole armor of God. Do you know that that's a key? The whole armor of God. So just a, the shield is not enough. You need the shield and the helmet and the shoes and the sword. We need the whole armor of God. And if we don't have the whole armor, then we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. And so when we look at this and we see that the whole armor is a key, what does that look like when we put it on? What does it look like? Is it getting up in the morning and putting our feet over the side of the bed and going, okay, I'm putting on the shoes a piece, <laughs> I'm putting on the breastplate, and I'm putting on, well, you can do that if it makes you feel good, but <laughs> I mean, you can do it, sure. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think what he's talking about really is deeper and more powerful. I think what he's talking about is understanding and knowing what salvation really is and wearing it into our day. Knowing that it is being saved, healed, prospered, preserved, delivered, and made whole. And if we don't go into our day with that knowledge, then we are open for attack. I think it means that we put on the belt of truth, knowing that God's word is the ultimate truth. And there's nothing that I will face today that God's truth cannot speak to. I think it's putting on the knowledge of who we are in Christ. And this is what he has given us. It's looking at that breastplate of righteousness and knowing that any accusation of the enemy that comes at me today cannot stand because the blood has been shed for me and because I'm righteous in his sight. Because of the blood. It's not because of anything that I have done. It's because of the blood that was shed for me. I think it means that we go into our day and we, everywhere we walk, we can walk in the perfect peace that passes understanding because his peace is the garment that I'm wearing and no, nothing can disturb that because my shoes are tied tight, right? They're not slipping off. I think it means that we go out into the world with the sword of God's word and that sword we know is a weapon. It's a weapon that we take out with us. And so God's word, uh, as we speak it into situations and as we pray it throughout our day, it makes a difference. It begins to cut through what the enemy would try and do. You know, um, oh, what was it? 
uh, A.W. Tozer, he said this. He said, whatever keeps me from my Bible is an enemy. However, uh, I, I don't think it was unimportant, but uh, however small it may seem. Whatever keeps me from my Bible is an enemy, however insignificant it may seem. You know, it's really true. Do we have that knowledge when we go out that the word is over all? That the word is powerful? So it's the knowledge of who we are. It's not actually putting on those things. But then he goes and he says something else in verse 18. And he says, with all of this armor on, the knowledge of who we are and whose we are, who we belong to and who we are, we do something. And what does he say that we do? He says, pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. And to that end, Keep alert, watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding on behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. And pray also for me that freedom of utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth and proclaim boldly the mystery of the good news, the gospel. Wow. He says, we pray with this knowledge. We pray we pray with the knowledge of who we are. And so he really shows us that knowledge in its proper use is a weapon, in, and we go in as a warrior with the knowledge of who we are, but not only into our day, we go into our prayer closet with the knowledge. We go into our prayer closet with the knowledge of who we are. And as we go into our prayer closet, we pray. And he says this, to that end, keep alert. To what end? What end? Well, guess what? We're not done praying till we have seen the manifestation of all of those things that we know we are. And not only us, he says, continue in intercession on behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. You know, that's revival prayer right there. That's revival prayer. And he says, pray for me that the message can go forth. So maintain prayer. That's revival prayer. And maintain what? Maintain the knowledge of who we are and what God has done and keep praying it and praying it for all of God's consecrated people. And do those things immediately come to pass? No, that's why he said to that end, keep praying. Keep praying. Because sometimes there's opposition. Sometimes there's things that happen. Remember in Daniel chapter 10? Well, in Daniel chapter 10, the angel came and he said, Oh, Daniel, your prayer was heard from the very first word. Your prayer was heard. But for 21 days, your answer has been up here because there's been a battle going on, a battle in the heavenlies. But from the first day, your prayer was heard. So what if Daniel would have quit praying? What if he hadn't maintained that prayer? What if he hadn't maintained faith? What if he hadn't stood on the word of God because he was standing on the word? What if he had let that go? Well, then maybe they would have suffered defeat in that area. Who knows? But he maintained praying. Well, that's what revival prayer is all about. There are things that we obtain in prayer and we get because Jesus' blood provided those for us. And it's things like salvation and healing. And we, we receive those now, but there are prayers that we maintain because God wants to do something in the earth. And so we maintain praying for those things. So 
Luke 10, 19 says this, Behold, I have given you authority and power to trample on serpents and scorpions and physical and mental strength and ability over all the power that the enemy possesses. Wow, that is good news. And nothing shall in any way harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are enrolled in heaven. Oh, I love that. He says, I gave you authority. And why did I give you authority? I gave you authority so that you could pray and the enemy would not be able to overtake you or to cause you harm in any way. You can always overcome and we will pray until we see the answer. But he says, we don't rejoice in the fact that we have authority. We rejoice in the fact that our authority works to renew relationship, to bring people into the kingdom. It's all about relationship. So the highest and most powerful exercise of our authority really will be taking authority over ourselves to discipline ourselves to pray. <laughs> That's good news. <laughs> and taking authority over the enemy. The enemy so that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Amen? So... One person said the catalyst for revival prayer is consecration. The catalyst for revival is consecration. Consecration. And you know, that's really what, when we understand who we are and what that armor really is about us, we consecrate ourselves to a great degree because of what he has done for us. The place he has made for us. So, Authority, authority. We understand who we are and we understand the place we hold. We have a responsibility, a responsibility. You know, he didn't just save us. Actually, say it this way. He didn't just uh, save himself. Jesus didn't raise from the grave. We sang all the Easter songs this morning. He didn't rise from the grave for himself. He did it for all of us. He consecrated himself for all of us. And in the same way, we consecrate ourselves because God's not done yet. So, Proverbs 4.18 says this, But the path of the uncompromisingly righteous, the just and righteous, is like the light of dawn that shines more and more, brighter and clearer, until it reaches its full strength and glory in the perfect day to be prepared. I love that. So authority is one way that we will pray. We will pray with great authority and we'll understand our authority and we'll exercise our authority in revival praying. But another way that we will pray is with intercession. And so go with me over to Exodus 28. And if you're doing the, the Bible in one year, you're probably right here right now. <laughs> in Exodus chapter 28, there's another breastplate that we see. And it's not the breastplate of the warrior. It's the breastplate of the worshiper. It's the breastplate of the priest. And it's here in chapter 28 and verse 2. It says, And you shall make for Aaron your brother sacred garments, appointed official dress, set apart for special holy services, for honor and for beauty. 
And I love that. One translation says, for glory and for honor. Those clothes that the priest wore had a specific purpose. And God said, they're for glory and honor and beauty. And then it goes on, and we'll read from verse 9. It says, And you shall take two onyx or barrel stones and engrave on them the names of the twelve sons of Israel, six of the names on one stone and six names on the, of the rest on the other stone, arranged in order of their birth. He says you're going to put those two onyx stones on the shoulder of the priest, and they contain all of the names of the children uh, of the tribes of Israel. And then we look at verse 15, or actually 12. It says, And you shall put the two stones upon the shoulder straps of the ephod of the high priest as memorial stones for Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names upon his two shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. And in verse 15, You shall make a breastplate of judgment. In skilled work, like the workmanship of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, scarlet stuff, and of fine twined linen. The breastplate shall be square and doubled a span, nine inches shall be its length, and a span shall be its breadth. And you shall set it in four rows of stones. A sardis, a topaz, a carbuncle shall be the first row. The second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, so called at that time. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, a jasper, and they shall be set in gold filigree. And the stones shall be twelve according to the names of the sons of Israel, like the engravings of a signet, each with its name of the twelve tribes." And then we'll jump down to verse 29. It says, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them in continual remembrance before the Lord. In the breastplate of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, unspecified articles used when the high priest asked God's counsel for Israel. The, the Urim and the Thummim represented the word of God. And he said, you're going to put the word of God in the breastplate with all of the names of the people. And it says, they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment, the rights, and the judicial decisions of the Israelites upon the heart before the Lord continually. Why are we reading all of this? Because we're looking at the breastplate of the high priest. The high priest was the intercessor. He came into the Holy of Holies and he put the blood on the altar. He did that for all of the people. And when he went before the Lord and he put the blood on the altar, he, he wore them on his heart. And I love that because that's what an intercessor does. An intercessor wears the people on their heart, and God puts them on the heart. But you know, when he went in, it wasn't just the tribes right then, right there. It was all of the, the names of the tribes, and it was all of those people, but it was all of their descendants as well. When Aaron went in, and he put blood on the altar as the high priest, he was interceding for all of those tribes and all of their relatives. 
And one of those relatives was Jesus, who was of the tribe of Judah. And when Jesus was of the tribe of Judah, Jesus put his blood on the altar for every one of us. When the high priest went in, he didn't just intercede for those who were right there right now. He interceded for everyone who would ever be and who Jesus would die for. And God said from the very beginning, I want these on his heart when he comes in before me. And as he went in with them on his heart, God said, I look at those names. I look at those people and everyone that they will ever represent. There was intercession from the very beginning until Jesus' blood was shed once for all. And now we, because Jesus shed his blood, get the opportunity to be an intercessor, to stand in the gap, to pray for those who do not know him. There is a warrior and a worshiper represented. And you know that worshiper, the priest, he served from a very selfless, consecrated place. Everything that he did was not for himself, it was for someone else. And he uh, had to be holy and whole. Holy and whole. And do you know that when we understand who we are, because we've put on the armor of God, that's who we are? We're holy and whole, and we're qualified to come into that place and to intercede, to intercede. So prayer is a right, and prayer is a privilege, and we understand that, and we take full advantage of that right. Anytime we want to, we know that we can come into the house of God, and we can make our requests known, and that's awesome. But here's another aspect of revival prayer. It's also a responsibility. The priest had a responsibility and he bore the names of those tribes on his shoulders and on his heart. And do you know that God made those garments for glory and beauty because his plan included glory and beauty, honor and beauty. He wanted to restore humanity back to the honor that he created them. And part of our job in revival prayer is to stand for those who do not know that. And the priest did that and we do that when we come in with that heart of intercession. And Jesus, you know, he didn't, he, he made a way for all of us to be kings and priests unto our God. He didn't have just a special order of priests. He said, no, we're going to take this job and we're going to give it to every single one of them so we can get the job done. <laughs> every one of us have a responsibility in revival prayer. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased special people, that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what God did for us. He called us out. But the same honor and glory that we have now experienced, we pray for others. Yeah. Yes. That's God's plan. In Isaiah 61, 6, it says this, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. That's us. You shall be called the priests of the Lord. People will speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of nations and the glory of once that of your captors shall be yours. I love that. 
The enemy cannot have what is God's. He cannot have what is God's. So we stand and we pray, and prayer opens the doors for the Holy Spirit to move, opens doors for God to come into people's lives, even people who are not asking him. When we pray revival prayers for our nation and for our government and for our cities, God is able to come in and do things. He's able to breathe life into something that looks like it's on the verge of death. He's able to breathe his life into it, and that's what revival is all about. It's reviving. There's lots of different kinds of revival in the Word of God. In uh, the book, The Day of Gideon, there was a revival of courage. Remember that? People were on the verge of, of being annihilated and hiding. And then they stood up and they fought. And there was a revival among the people. In the day of Elijah, there was a revival of the call. In the day of Nehemiah, there was a revival of joy. When they finished the temple and they came, there was a revival of joy. In the ministry of John the Baptist, there was a revival of families, the hearts of fathers being returned to the sons and the sons to the fathers. And then all you have to do is read through the Gospels and you'll see one of the greatest revivals that ever was when Jesus came and he ministered, and he ministered to thousands who came to know who he was. Over and over again, city after city after city, thousands came to know him, to be healed, a revival of healing, a revival of freedom. I believe that in the end day revival, God's gonna take all of these together, <laughs> all of them together, and we're gonna see people revived in every single area of their heart and life. God wants to do it. Psalm 85, 6 says this, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Psalm 80, verse 19, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You know, yesterday, Pastor Mark and I were um, he was going to Craig because we had the board meetings there at Craig, and he's there uh, today and in ministering at the Church of Craig. Um, but we were kind of just relaxing, and so we were having coffee in bed, and we were reading the biography of uh, Rodney Gypsy Smith. Does anybody know who he is? He is. He was a man of revival. He was a man who loved God. He really. He was a gypsy, and. He was uh, traveled with his family in a gypsy wagon, doing all the things that gypsies do. And God got a hold of him. <laughs> Serious, like, his story is awesome. Um, but God got a hold of him, and he turned him into a preacher. And he had revival everywhere he went. He was from England, and he made like 25 trips around the world. And everywhere he went, there was revival. There's stories from every nation, I'm telling you, all over the place. But he said this. He said, a delegation came to ask him how they could experience mass revival as he had. And this was his reply. Go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. There on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within the chalk circle. <laughs> Don't you love that? How does revival really start? 
starts with me, starts with you, starts with us getting the heart of the high priest, starts with us having people on our heart, starts with us having the heart of God. You know, in our Rivers Conference, we said it's time to dream, and it's time to dream the dreams of God. God has dreams. His dreams are for beauty and honor and glory for people. But he can't have that unless people grab hold of his heart. And so what do we do? I pray that we go home today and we draw a circle around ourselves and we start praying, Lord, send revival right here. Send revival in my heart. And guess what? God will give you a revival of courage. He'll give you a revival of joy. He'll give you a revival of, of your family being restored. He'll give you a revival of healing. And it'll start with you and it'll go from you into all the areas where we live. So you might be in gypsum or silt or rifle or Glenwood Springs, but guess what? That's how revival's going to come to our valley, is that we start having revival right here. And you know what? I'm reading revival stories. I am reading all kinds of testimonies. I'm reading things that God did. And God did a lot of them right here in the United States. But guess what? Right here in Colorado. And it's time for God to do it again. And we're being stirred on the inside. God wants to do something. God wants to do it. And you know, some of the heaviness and the oppression that I think we have been feeling is a burden to get into the prayer closet and to start praying for revival. It's a burden to start praying for God to do what he did before and to do it again. And so that's where revival prayer begins. Why don't you stand with me? Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you, Father, that you desire to send revival. Oh, we thank you, Lord. And just as Alan said today, you said, call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty, even hidden things that you know not. Father, we ask right now that you show us, Lord, your heart. We thank you, Father, that we have been born in this day, the day that we are on the verge of the greatest revival ever seen or known. And Father, we have a part. Lord, we just raise our hands in expectation and we thank you, Lord, oh, that we will take our part in revival prayer. Father, we commit today that we will be those who are first revived. <laughs> oh, we thank you for it, Lord. We ask you, revive us, Lord. Revive us. Thank you, Lord for reviving us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, if you're here today and, and maybe you say, that's really great and I'd love to have a revival, well, guess what? It starts with knowing Jesus too. Knowing him. Knowing him and knowing that he died for you. And maybe you've been to church or joined us online for a while and maybe you've never prayed this prayer. We're all going to pray it together. We're going to re-consecrate our hearts this morning and we'll pray this prayer today. So it's simple. Let's pray. Lord, I'm done with my way. I want your way. I want to see your glory. I want to know you more. And I want revival. I believe that you're the Son of God and that you forgave my sin. Be the Lord of my life and let revival begin in me. Amen. <laughs>
you prayed that prayer for the first time, we will have people right here in front that's our altar care team, and, and they'll be praying with you. And if you're online and you prayed that prayer, make sure that you go to our app, check, click, uh, or click, um, share your story, share my story. And uh, we'd love to hear that you prayed that prayer. We'll send you one of the new birth books online or over a digital book. So, uh, but if you're here, come up, get that book, get a few free gifts, and uh, let the altar care team know that you prayed that prayer. Revival's coming, you guys. <laughs> it is. It is. Amen. All right. Say this with me as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus far, exceeds far exceeds any damage done to me, damage done to me by Adam's fall. By Adam's fall. Amen. Amen.